few months ago, I was in an Indian restaurant in Levenzee. This Indian restaurant. Has anyone been there, the Nawab? Yeah? No? A few nods here and there, a few people being there. It's an enormous restaurant. I don't know how many it seats, four, five hundred? And it's a huge buffet, and there must be a hundred different dishes that you can try. You can see them all lined up there, and it goes right round that corner and right round the next corner. It's really interesting, people watching in a buffet like that. Because people go round. Some people are just looking bemused. There was one man who just had a plateful of chips. <laughs> it must have been the most expensive plateful of chips ever, but it was just there, this mound. Other people go round seeming to think that this is an Olympic sport and that you go and you have to put as much food as possible onto the plate and just see how much you could um, consume. Other people are actually just bemused by the whole experience. Where do you start? Now, I'm left when I'm in those kind of situations, and it's the same in any buffet, really, with a bit of a conundrum. Do you do the following? A, go for the things I know I like. Do you go for, if you're in that situation, do you do that? Put your hands up if you're an A person. Claire, you need to have your hand up. (laughs) Claire always goes for the things that she knows she likes. Do you B, Go for the things I've never heard of or never tried. I don't know if you can see what is written there. It says lamb trotters. I didn't go for that. But do you go for those things that you've never heard of in the hope that you might actually find something that is a delight? Yeah? Put your hands up if you're that. Or do you mix and match? That's me. (laughs) That's me. Go for some things that you know you'll like and try some things that you're not sure. What I found out on that evening was that actually there was one particular Indian sweet that was absolutely disgusting. Second only to stuffed cabbage. It really wasn't a great experience. You see, when we're free to choose, without a framework, it makes life more complicated, not simpler, doesn't it? If you go into that place, if you had a menu of two dishes, it's not a difficult choice. When you've got a 100, the choice becomes rather more complicated. I can remember doing GCSE English and reading the book, The Lord of the Flies. I don't know if anyone's read it. It's a pretty harrowing kind of book about this, this boy, these boys who are left on their own and they end up killing one of them away from adult supervision and away from normal society. Because with freedom comes great responsibility. When we're free, we have to have a framework to know what to do with it. At the start of this passage that we're looking at, before we come to the the one another phrase that we're looking at this morning, there are some verses on Christian freedom. What does it mean to be free as a Christian? I think we have to grapple with this before we can move forward into the rest of the passage. Here's some other verses on Christian freedom. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 36. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Again, you have been set free but become slaves of God. Romans 8 verses 1 to 2. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Look at the first verse that we read together. It talks about being free. We are called to freedom, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And so what we get at the start of this passage is a bit of a paradox, really, is that we are free, 
we are free in Christ, and we'll look in a moment to what we're free from what, but we're not free to indulge ourselves in ways that will lead us away from God. We're free to become the people that God has made us. So what are we free from? Well, a few things that Paul says. He says we're free from the obligations of the law, from being judged and measured against the law of Moses. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our attempts to fill the law. He sees Christ, and Christ who has fulfilled the law. So we are seen through the righteousness of Christ. We are free because of what Jesus has done. We're free from death. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to die. You know, it's the ultimate statistic, apart from a couple of very famous people in the Bible. Everybody, unless Jesus returns first, will suffer death. But death is no longer the final full stop. We are free from the fear of death and the effects of it. John Stott summarizes it like this. We are free to approach God without fear. That is in this life because we're free from sin. We can approach God. We can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. And in eternity, we are free to be in God's presence because of what Christ has done through dying from us and through rising again. There is no condemnation over us in Christ. We are free, free from the past, free in the present, and free for the future. But free to do what? I met somebody this week who lives on a canal boat. I don't know if you ever chatted with somebody who lives on a canal boat. Quite an interesting conversation. Most of us don't live. Does anyone here live on a canal boat? Just to make sure. I know some of us go on canal boats quite regularly. Does anyone live on one? No. So I, th- I gather we're, we're all talking from probably the same viewpoint. Do all of us live in buildings? Can we just establish that? Anybody not live in a building? It's interesting, isn't it? We have the choice in this country to live in so many different ways. Yet the vast majority of us choose to live in a building. We do what other people do. We live in a fixed place. Last autumn, one in four people on a Saturday night were watching either Strictly or The X Factor. One in four people. That... I don't know whether somebody's confessing at the back or... (laughs) One in four people are watching The X Factor or Strictly Come Dancing. That is despite the fact that there are hundreds of other TV channels to watch. Then you put on Netflix, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got YouTube, you've got all kinds of different entertainment options. Why do one in four people watch the same kind of things? Because we're communal beings, aren't we? We're called into relationship with one another. We're made in God's image for relationship. And this question about Christian freedom matters, not just on the individual level, but it matters communally. Because a community can take on characteristics. We like to share. We like to have things in common with one another. And so as we look at Christian freedom, we have to think, how does that impact me? But how does it impact our church family as well? When Paul is preaching at this point, and when he's um, writing to the church in Galatia, he's really coming against a way of thinking that later on in Christian sort of history became known as antinomianism, which is a very fancy word for meaning people who um, thought that because you were freed from sin, you could keep on sinning because grace just covered it. Just go on and do what you want. And Paul says, absolutely not. Christian freedom is free to become like Christ. It is free from having to be self-centered. It is free, not under the compulsion of the law, but out of a desire to walk in step with the Spirit to become the people 
that God has created us to be. If you were here last Sunday morning, Sam and Sarah were talking to us and talking about three headings about being created, called, and crowned. I can still remember it. And these three headings were all about becoming who we are in Christ. Becoming who we are. Accepting who we were made to be. Becoming the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. You know, wouldn't it be great as if a community and as individuals, we were famous for becoming like Jesus? Famous as a church, that when people talk about Lynn Baptist Church, they think about a church who love one another, who serve one another, who care for one another, who encourage one another. So let's move on. Let's look at actually what it means to serve one another. Paul says, rather than using your freedom to sin, and if you want to know what sin looks like in this context, look at verses 19 to 21. Paul says they're obvious, and it's not a particularly encouraging list of behavior. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But what all of those things are is things that originate in the selfishness of the human heart. They're all types of behavior that are actually there because we start loving something else more than God. And we start putting ourselves at the center. Some of them are just types of behavior that are made to make me look more powerful or to gather stuff to me or to fulfill whatever desires I have. We were in the car the other day and we had the radio on and some adverts came on. Now, normally I switch off during adverts just sort of blank them out. But you know when you suddenly notice that things are sounding very similar on recurring adverts? And there were three adverts. One was for some kind of pizza. I can't remember which pizza chain it was, but it said, this bank holiday weekend, treat yourself to this particular pizza deal. The next one that came up was for a hotel, for a spa. And it said, you deserve to be treated to a spa this weekend. You deserve to be treated. I also deserve to pay for it, I think, as well. And then the third one, I can't remember what it was for, but it was a similar kind of advert. You deserve, you deserve this. Indulge yourself this bank holiday weekend. Put yourself at the center. You see, advertising works on that basis, doesn't it, so often? You are at the center, and everything that happens needs to be to keep me, keep ourselves happy. Put ourselves in the middle and let the world revolve around us. At its worst, Western consumerism totally drives that way of thinking. We have found ourselves in a mess as a planet because of that way of thinking. Because it's all about me. It's all about gathering things to me. Now, we can look at Paul's list of sin in this passage, and we can think, well, actually, you know, I I don't get involved with witchcraft. I'm not an idol worshipper. I don't have too many fits of rage. And we can go through it and look look of it as a tick list of things. This is not a tick list, but this is a list of symptoms of what happens when we get ourselves at the middle of our life. When we don't live as Jesus wants us to live, but when we live in a way that is dishonoring to God. See, if I use my freedom to serve myself, this is the type of thing that starts to happen. And Paul, in effect, is saying to these Galatian Christians, I don't want this for you. This is not how you should be. But rather walk in step with the Spirit. Rather than indulge the flesh and put yourself at the centre, walk in step with the Spirit. And so we get this beautiful one another phrase. 
serve one another humbly in love. The NRSV translation actually translates that be slaves to one another. It's a bit stronger. Be slaves to one another. Have that compulsion to serve. But what does that actually mean? You know, we can read that and think, well, that sounds very nice, but it can be a little bit floaty, a little bit nebulous, a little bit difficult to sort of pin down. How do we serve one another in love? The best example, not surprisingly, is Jesus, isn't he? Of how we do this. Because we see it lived out through his ministry. Just hear this from Matthew 28, verses 25 to 28. This takes place just after there'd been a discussion about who could sit at Jesus' right hand. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we see in the way that Jesus lived was that he exemplified this way of living. He washed his disciples' feet after the dust and dirt of the road. He spent time with the marginalized. He associated with those whose society called sinners, those who were tax collectors who took more money from people than they should have done, those who were prostitutes, those who had relationships that had really fallen apart. He associated with the outcasts. He cared for the sick. He welcomed children who in that day were were not to be welcomed. He welcomed them to him. He cared about the demon-possessed who nobody seemed to be able to do anything about. And then we get the ultimate act of service as Jesus dies on Calvary as a ransom for many. You know, churches, us, Lynn Baptist Church, communities of disciples of Jesus, we have choices to make. Do we take on these shared values as a community? Will we serve one another? Now, if we take the Bible seriously, if we say that this is God's word and we will live according to what it says, we don't have any choice but to do what Jesus commands us. We don't have any choice but to do what Paul says here in Galatians. I was reading a blog this week from a church leader, and this particular church leader was saying, they were really fed up with getting abusive text messages from their congregation. And these text messages were full of swearing, they were full of accusations, and they were pretty horrendous. And they just said they are absolutely fed up of it. You know, when I was reading that, I was thinking, what kind of church is it when we think that that could be possibly acceptable? What kind of church becomes that, that becomes so toxic in relationship? Now, it's easy to look at that and think, well, that's not us. No, and it isn't us. You know, let's just name that. That isn't us. We do not do that. But it is so easy for things like that to start to drift in to the way that we are with one another, for things to become toxic. And we'll come back to that in a moment. What are we going to become famous for? Are we going to become famous for one anothering, for serving one another in love? In 260 AD, there was a massive outbreak of what um, historians think was smallpox in the Roman Empire. And it was um, really destructive. Thousands and thousands of people died. But the Christians at that time became famous for caring. Here's a quote from somebody called 
Dionysius, or if you'd rather have his name in English, Dennis. <laughs> Doesn't sound quite as grand, does it? So let's stick with Dionysius. Most of our fellow Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. What happened? Many of those people who cared for one another died. They caught smallpox, and they died as a result of their serving of one another. What happened to the church? The church became famous. The church became known as a community who took Jesus seriously and who served one another in love, no matter what the cost, no matter what happened. The result? People turned their life to Jesus. In the midst of a terrible situation, living out the gospel brought radical results. You see, when we live as Jesus did, our message already has legs. It already demonstrates itself to our communities. To serve, to think about the other, the other person, not just think about me and my desires, has a radical impact on the people round about us. But I think sometimes we can become fearful about serving one another. I don't know if you've ever offered support to somebody and been turned down. If you've ever offered practical help to somebody and they've never taken it up. And sometimes we can fear that kind of rejection. We, we can be hurt by trying to live like this. Other times, and this is very fashionable in um, sort of ministers' conferences and things, we may feel that we don't want to overload ourselves by caring for people. You know, I sit through quite a lot of conferences where it's always talking about self-care and looking after yourself. And that, that is really, really important. You know, there's no point in us suffering burnout and compassion fatigue so we can't care for anybody. But we are called to serve. The words here are a command. Serve one another. Put the other first. And you know what happens if we all put one another first? We all get served as well, don't we? When we need it, we all get served as well. It doesn't need to be big things. It might just simply be saying, I'm going to be praying for you this week. Let me serve you in prayer. Or I'm going to bring a meal round because I know you've got a really busy week. Or I'm going to just help you in whatever way it is. I'm just going to chat to you. I'm going to be that listening ear. And even the smallest things can make the biggest difference. Now, some of us are great at serving. You know, I see that around the church. I see this exemplified time and time again. But some of us are not great in letting other people serve us. Some of us think it's great to give, but it's not great to receive. But you know, one anothering has to go around in a circle. We have to be able to give, and we have to be able to receive. Why are we sometimes not great at receiving? Well, I think it's this. I think that it means that we have to admit, I can't do it all myself. I am not all sufficient. And if we dig down a little bit deeper, that actually amounts to some kind of pride. You know, if I'm not prepared to let somebody else in to carry my burdens, to pray for me, to support me, to cook a meal if I need it, or to help with a DIY job that I'm totally incapable of doing on my own, then I'm saying that actually I can cope, I can do all these things, even though I can't. One of the most humbling times in our life was around a decade ago. Um, I've mentioned it before, but I'd been taken quite ill, and Nathaniel was a baby, Timothy was a toddler. We were about 200 miles away from any family, and we had to let the church we were part of care for us. 
we had to let them serve us. Otherwise, we would have literally, I don't know, fallen off the cliff or whatever the metaphor is you want to use. Life would have not been good. It's really humbling to have to be able to say, I need the one another to work in this direction at the moment. I've got nothing to give. All I can do is receive. What does Paul remind us? Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat one another as you want it to be treated. But to love others well, we also have to have that healthy relationship with ourselves, don't we? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not meaning, you know, I go around saying, oh, I love myself, I think I'm amazing. But it's about thinking about who we are in Christ. Like we were looking at last week, made in the image of God, made for God's pleasure, redeemed at a price, placed value on us through Jesus dying out of love for us. Do you serve others? Will you allow others to serve you? Or do you just serve yourself? Will we admit that we actually need serving just as much as those we are seeking to serve? About giving and receiving. Verse 16, Paul says, walk in step with the Spirit. Part of this is about our attitude to service. That we walk in a way that God would lead us. And what does he say the result is? Well, the result is fruit. There's a lovely list. Look at verse 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Just, this, uh, just as um, self-indulgence brings with its symptoms, so walking in step with the Spirit produces fruit. And these are things that Paul says there is no law against. Why? Because these are the very characteristics of God. These are the things that cannot be tainted by human sin. Are we famous for this as a church? Are we famous for it? We see there's also a warning in this passage. Don't devour each other. You see, if we don't serve in love, and are rather self-centered and self-pleasing, then in verse 15, Paul says, you will bite and devour each other, you will be destroyed by each other. That is a metaphor, but it's a powerful one. The idea of consuming one another up. You know, churches that don't become famous for serving one another in love, but become famous for devouring one another, don't tend to last very long. If a church once becomes a toxic place, if you start sending those kind of text messages, as I was mentioning earlier, It's not long before a church will implode and cease to exist as a worshipping community. See, if you put two people in a room who are only out for themselves, what will happen? Go on, somebody give me an answer. What would happen if you put two people in a room who are only out for themselves? What starts to happen? They start to fight, start to argue. The relationship very, very quickly starts to become toxic and starts to become damaging. And Paul's point to the church in Galatia is, if you start to go down this road, if you indulge in the desires of the flesh, if you live a self-centered life, rather than a life of service like Jesus did, then actually you will just devour one another. Now this is quite a challenge, I think, to all of us. Because I think at all points in life, we need to ask ourselves, are there any things that I am doing that are potentially toxic in the life of the church? Are there things that I am doing in my small group, in our church, in my own life, where I could actually be biting and devouring and being destructive? 
See, it's very easy, isn't it, to get in that wrong cycle of thinking and for things to spiral downwards. And I think what Paul would say to us is, well, look at the basics again. Love your neighbor. If you start there with that summary of the law, you're not going to go far wrong. If we get back to basics and back to that serving one another, then we will continue to walk in step with the Spirit. Be as Christ to one another. Now, that doesn't mean a bland existence in church. It doesn't mean we don't have robust conversations. It doesn't mean we can't challenge one another. It doesn't mean that actually we don't need to speak out when things perhaps aren't great. But what it means is that we do all of that stuff rooted in who we are in Christ, serving one another, loving one another for the common good and the building of the kingdom. Over the next few months, as I'm sure most of us are now aware, things will be happening to this building. Physical things, building work, stuff will be changing. And if all goes to plan, from the end of July, if we've once got planning permission to then move forward, builders will come in and take over parts of the building. This type of thing can be really exciting for a church, but it can also give us, if you like, the wrong type of fertile soil for disputing with one another. It can give us that type of environment where actually snapping at one another can very easily become into the way that we're being. Now, praise the Lord, to date that has not happened. We had a great last church meeting where we voted to move this forward. But can I encourage us over the next few months to have our guard up really high, to make sure that serving one another, loving one another, caring for one another remains priority. Now, I was talking to Claire about this last night, and obviously we, we will be missing for three months while the actual some of the building works take place. Some decisions may be taken that we're not part of. Now, if I come back in September and find a bright orange carpet and bright pink chairs and fluorescent green walls and a church that is united, it will not bother me one bit. <laughs> There's a challenge for you. Because that is not what matters, is it? What matters is that in September, when we come back, and when we start to look at our pioneering ministries in Highley, in Thelwall, when we look at how we're going to use this building to reach out further into the communities, that at that point we are united and in step with the Spirit, then that is what matters. That is what matters. Can I encourage us, as we go into this next season of church life, to make sure that we do these one anothering and keep doing them really well together? The challenges of life, both in church, in our own lives, in our relationships, is that we continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. I love this quote. It is impossible to serve God without serving one another. You can't serve God in isolation. You can't serve God in a vacuum. It involves other people. It involves living out the gospel in a community. And in living it out, then being prepared to share the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again for us. Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does the Spirit seek to do in our lives? The Spirit points us to Jesus, seeks to make us more like him, equips us with gifts, produces fruit, and enables us to proclaim the kingdom of God. Three things just to reflect on as we close. Am I currently serving God by serving other Christians? Is that a reality? Is that something I'm doing? 
Am I able to receive the care of other Christians? There will be times in all of our lives when actually we've not got a lot to give and we actually need to receive. Am I able to do that at those times when I need to? Are there any areas where I need to stop destroying other Christians? Again, that's metaphor, that language. But it is a very um, serious thing we need to think about. I'm going to pray, and then I just want to leave a couple of minutes just for us to think those things through, and then Phil will come and lead us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we look at your example of what it means to be a servant, we're just amazed that you left the splendor of heaven to become one of us, to walk in the mess and the dirt and the horrendous brokenness of human relationships. Lord, this morning I want to pray that each of us in our own way will seek to imitate you. Lord, give us the confidence to walk in your footsteps. Give us the boldness to share the good news of Jesus. Give us the humility to be able to receive the care of one another when we need that. So just in these moments of quietness, just just reflect on what it is that the Holy Spirit may be saying to you today. Whether that's just an encouragement to keep going, whether it's a challenge to change, Whatever it is God may be saying, let's just spend a moment of quiet and just reflect. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen.